That if over there we have the goodness of God, and yes, we believe that's true, over here we have the harsh reality that sometimes life is just really, really hard. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Whoa. Coming in hot today. Hey, my name is Luke. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. We love being together. If you're joining us online, welcome. We hope to meet you here in person soon. Um, you know, it's been a really uh, traumatic week for my kids because their good, virtuous, righteous mom and dad have been stealing from their Halloween candy. And then, you know, last night, the Astros win the World Series. And oh, come on, this is church. Um, <laughs> it just kind of begs the question, like, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And we're in this series right now called Hold It Together, where we're talking about these truths that are apparently contradictory, but God gives us both of them, and we've got to hold on tight to both of them. And so last week, we talked about grace and truth. Today, we're talking about the goodness of God and human suffering. And in just a minute, our executive minister, Eric Carter, is going to hop up and, and join me for the message. He has a powerful word for us this morning. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to the newest minister joining us on staff, Mr. Brad Campbell and his wife, Allison. Uh, Brad, I don't know what we're doing here, man. Uh, yeah. Hey, Brad and Allison, they, they're from Indy originally. They spent the last few years down in Tennessee, though, so this is a little bit of a homecoming for them, and we are so pumped to have them on staff with us. Brad is joining us as a worship minister. He's going to be working alongside Kyle Nelson, so you're going to see a lot of him up here week in and week out leading us before God's throne and into God's presence, and we are excited. Um, we have just fallen in love with these two. The first time I met Brad was earlier this spring. Uh, I don't know if you remember, on Palm Sunday, we had a group come in and do a concert called Easter Stories and Songs. Brad played lead guitar for that group. And I got to hang out with them a little bit before and after the show. And just watching the way that Brad led the band members in just conversations and prepared them to come out and do what God had called them to do, I was blown away just by the way that God has gifted Brad. And then as we've gotten to know these two over the last few months, we have only grown to love them more. The depth of love that God has given them, the joy that God has given them, their passion for God's word and God's people, we're going to be richly blessed. And Allison is in grad school finishing up her work, uh, training in counseling, and we just love these two, and we're confident that you guys are going to fall in love with them too. Would you join me in welcoming Brad and Allison Campbell? God is good. All right. And all the time. I went way better than I'd planned it in my head. Good morning. I don't know if any of you are like me in this, that when you see a Christmas gift, um, you just, you start feeling maybe a little anxious or excited or nervous about what's going on, what's inside. Uh, I'm the youngest child in my family and the youngest kid 
of all the grandkids. Uh, so for those of you who know me, you're like, oh, this all makes sense now. Like, I totally understand how you are. Um, Christmas morning, we all stay the night at my grandparents' house. We'd wake up and we would do the Christmas tradition of grabbing presents and stacking them in front of you. So the younger kids would go and pass out all the gifts and I'd go sit down and I would look at my pile for the morning. I would take the, the kind of rectangular long boxes, shake them if they didn't make noise. Those don't count. Those go to the side. That's called clothes. Uh, and then I would look and see what's left over. And then I would grab my mental abacus and start going around the room. My brother Dave has 10, it looks like. Two of those are pretty big. Uh, Nate has 15. Of course, Nate has 15. Like, and then I would just start to get really bummed. I have seven? Man. And then a family tradition that was passed down from my dad to me, I would just have a terrible Christmas morning. <laughs> I had Christmas blues. Man, I don't know if you feel this way, but you just sometimes get this feeling of like, that's not fair. It's not fair. Like, how does everybody not have the same? And then my mom would explain to me that we spent the same amount of money on all of you kids, and it made no difference to me at all. Something about the morning just wasn't fair. Fairness is this emotion that we don't have to teach our kids. They know. It's baked down deep inside of them, this idea of this is not fair. And man, when we see things in the world that we know aren't right, it kind of strikes this sense of fairness in us. I love this thought experiment that is done where a person is given $100 and they're able to keep whatever is left once they give some of it away. They have to give some of the money away. Whatever's left is kept. The one catches, the person on the other end has to accept it. It's pretty easy, right? Everybody loves money, but not so fast. If most people would say, if you talk to an economist, the amount of money you should give the other person is a dollar. They came into this scenario with zero dollars. They're leaving now with a dollar. It's a pretty good gig. Uh, but that's not how we work as humans. In fact, most people who were offered a dollar simply go, and you get to keep 99? I would rather lose a dollar and you lose $99 than get anything at all. And that's what they would do. No, the most equitable thing is what typically worked, is where I kept 50 and gave you 50. Why? Does it make sense? No, but it's fair. If you could really quickly, just kind of look beside your seat, see if you see like a white envelope. Some of you will, especially Keith. I know which one by you. Uh, like if you would look, and if you can like hold it up. Oh, there's, yeah, hold it up if you have one right beside you. There's one. There's some over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a gift card for coffee uh, afterwards to wake you up from this sermon or whatever it is. I, um, you're welcome. Only a few of you had it. One, two, okay. There's a couple of emotions going on right now in the room. Some of you are like, isn't that so good that Mark and Keith got those gift cards? I mean, they could really use it. Uh, and then some of you are going like, you couldn't pass those out to all of us as we walked into the room? Like, what are you doing? And some of you are asking your wife or husband for a hand sanitizer because that was not a card that you put your hand next to on the seat. Um, <laughs> we care about fairness and what is right and what is good. You know, I love the pictures we get in Jesus's life where he'll go to a city that's in ruin where he'll see people who are struggling. And he doesn't say, you know, tough life is hard. I hope you do well, get better. No, we see him interacting with these people. He sees a, a, a man who's struggling from blindness and the accusation's been that it was because of sin and he heals that person. 
He goes to the house of Mary and Martha when their brother died and his best friend, and he cries with them, knowing that moments later he's gonna raise them from the dead. He tells us that the enemy's job is to come to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, that's not what I came for. I came to give you life and give it to you whole. Should we open up the gift? I love this imagery we get in Jeremiah 18 where God tells Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and he walks in and the potter has uh, clay on the wheel and it's disformed and he takes it off and he throws it away and he grabs another piece and he forms it correctly the way in which he wanted to. And Jeremiah heard from the Lord in that moment, you are clay in the hands of the potter. And God is shaping us and molding us into this good image that he has for us. I believe that. I believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And I believe what Eric said, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And yet, we all know that everything we get in this life doesn't always feel like it's a good and perfect gift from above. And if it's true that we really are clay in the hands of the potter, then if we're totally honest with ourselves, sometimes it feels like we open up the gift that God has given us or we see what God is making of us and it just feels like... It feels like it's broken. And we believe that God is good and we believe that God gives good gifts, but sometimes we look around at the things he gives other people and we think, well, why, why is my life the one that's broken? Why is mine the one that I can't feel like I don't know how to put it together? And that's not fair. And I, and I think we've all understood this before. We've all lived over here before, that if over there we have the goodness of God, and yes, we believe that's true, over here we have the harsh reality of the pain of the world, that sometimes life is just really, really hard. And I don't think I have to bribe you with a gift card this morning to understand my point. (laughs) Uh, There's an author named Philip Yancey who tells the story of how when he was one year old, his father contracted polio. And this was back in the day that in order for his father to survive, they had to put him in the hospital and he had to be in an iron lung machine. That was the only way he could breathe. That's what kept him alive, but it meant that he could never leave the confines of that machine. And so Philip Yancey writes about how his mom would take little one-year-old Philip and his three-year-old brother and they'd go to the hospital, to the isolation ward to visit their dad and they'd just have to press their hands up on the glass and look through the window and they'd press their faces up against the window and there was their father in there inside that machine looking through the glass at two young sons that he would never be able to hold or hug again. And, and, And Philip Yancey writes about how Before his father contracted polio, he'd been training to go spend his life as a missionary in Africa. That's what he wanted to lead their family to go do. And so when he came down with this disease, their church family, they asked all these questions. They thought, well, 
God surely wouldn't take somebody so young and so vibrant and so full of life. Somebody wanted to devote his life to serving the Lord like this. Surely this isn't in the will of God for that to happen. And so they started this prayer chain and thousands and thousands of people were praying for Philip Yancey's dad. And, and finally, the members of the prayer chain who were really close to the family, they became convinced that God wanted to do a miracle in his life. And so they talked to him and they decided that they were going to take a leap of faith and they were going to unplug the iron lung machine. And they were convinced that when they did, God was going to heal him. And so they turned off the machine. And within two weeks, he was dead. And Philip Yancey says, I grew up fatherless under that cloud of unanswered prayer. We believe God is good, and yet we also know that life really, really hurts, and we don't understand it. And we know that just because God is good doesn't mean that every gift we get in this life, everything that comes to us is gonna be all nice and pretty and put together. Sometimes life is, life is broken, and so over here, we have the suffering of the world. Over here, we have three million Africans stolen from their home and shipped across the ocean in the slave trade. Over here, we have the tsunami in 2004 that killed 230,000 people. Over here, we have six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. Over here, we have two million children who were sex trafficked this year. Over here, we have couples struggling with infertility and parents dying of cancer and children who are abused by the people they're supposed to be able to trust. Over here on this side of things, we have words like 9-11 and Vietnam and Columbine and Sandy Hook. Over there, we have the goodness of God, but over here, we have homeless shelters and emergency rooms and divorce courts and memory care units and funeral homes and caskets draped in flags. We've all spent time over here. And so to think that just because God is good means that life should be fair, sometimes when you're hurting, when you're sitting right here, to hear that God is good all the time and all the time God is good, sometimes it just feels trite or shallow. Because if there's one thing that binds us all together today, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it's that there's a broken heart beating inside every chest in this room right now. So what do we do with that? And in the brokenness of life, we have questions, right? That if we're clay in the hands of the potter, then who is this potter? We have questions about the will of God and the power of God, the purposes of God, the ability of God. Eric, you and I got to sit across the table a couple weeks ago from some of our friends in Ukraine, and they were describing to us how they had to flee from their homes and the brokenness in their country, and they said that, that right now people are looking at the pain all around them, how everything is falling apart, and they're flocking to churches, and they're asking the question, where is God in all of this? It's natural to ask those questions. Abraham Lincoln asked those questions too. In his second inaugural address, he reflected on the 620,000 people who lost their lives in the Civil War. Families torn apart, brother against brother, each one claiming to have God on their side. And Lincoln said of those two sides fighting against each other, north and south, in his second inaugural address, he said, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. 
And so we look at this and we think, okay, so, so what are then the purposes of the Almighty in the pain of the world? Where is God in all of this? And I'm comforted because if you've spent any time in God's word at all, you know we're not the only ones to have these questions. Over and over again, people wrestle with the pain of life in light of the goodness of God. Abraham cries out. He says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Gideon said, if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Job says, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. The psalmist begs, he says, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Isaiah says, truly, you are a God who has been hiding himself. Jeremiah says, why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior, powerless to save? And even Mary and Martha that you mentioned, Eric, they said, you know, when when Jesus doesn't come in time to save Lazarus, and he could have come in time, but he chose not to, and Lazarus dies, Jesus does show up at the house after Lazarus has already been dead for four days, and the two sisters come running out to him, and they each say the same thing to him. They say, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. And so we look at the pain of our lives and it's natural to ask the question like, why, Lord? How long, Lord? Where were you? And for a lot of people, when you're honest about the pain in the world, you look around, it just torpedoes the Christian faith and the notion of a good God because it feels like I've opened the gift and the life that I got was just broken. And so it begs the question, how can the idea of a good and strong God who loves us possibly stand up under the crushing weight of our distress? I'm not here to say that brokenness doesn't exist. We know it does. What, what I'm saying is if it's the only lens that we see the world through, it, it totally shapes my actions and how I think about who God is. The only natural conclusions from a world that's filled with brokenness and, and hurt and, and, and this tragedy everywhere, if that's the only lens I do is three conclusions. One is that God just simply isn't real. Two, that God isn't good. And three, that God isn't strong. If pain is the only thing we see, then the only logical conclusions lead us here. Epicurious put it this way when struggling through this question, said God either wishes to take away evil and is unable, or he is able and unwilling, or he's neither willing nor able, or he is both willing and able. If he is willing and is unable, then he's feeble, which is not in accordance with the character of God. If he's able and he's unwilling, well, then he's just envious, which is equally at variance with God. And if he's neither willing nor able, he's both envious and feeble, and therefore not God. If he is both willing and able, which alone is suitable to God, then from what source are these evils? Or why does he not remove them? I think we have to change our lens, and we have to put on this lens of perspective. During the start of the pandemic, I had a friend ask me if I wanted to go on a canoeing trip. So not knowing any better, I said yes. 
So it's a four-day trip. You carry everything on your back, your food, your tent, your water. We took fishing poles for some reason, for something extra to carry, I guess. And we go out, and we're pumped. So we get in our canoe. We're paddling away, big smiles on our face. Uh, I'm the guy in the back, so I don't have to paddle unless he turns around. So it's like a great day. We make it about five or six miles to our destination. We're having fun looking at the map, figuring out where we're going to go. So we go and we set up camp, get our tent set up, uh, get a tarp set up in case it rains, get a fire going. We eat dinner, some freeze-dried thing, and then it gets dark. and We have to go to sleep in our tent on the ground. <laughs> I love how Jim Gaffigan puts it when his wife says that camping is a family tradition for them. He says it was a family tradition for everyone until they invented the house. And that's how I felt on that trip. And it's like, man, it was a days filled with hard work and fishing and not catching and food that was terrible and rain that was coming down. And then we had to go back. And what I didn't realize at the time is when we were going out, we had a nice breeze at our back. And then when we were coming back, we had a really strong breeze coming right into us. So we pull in, our arms about to fall off, needing a shower so badly and desperate for a real meal. It was awful. (laughs) And if you were to come up to me right now and ask me to go on uh, a canoeing trip with you, I'd say yes in a heartbeat. And here's why. It's perspective. When man, when things are hard, what is our perspective on life? Here's two things I I think perspective help us with. One is to see the beauty in the hard times. Man, I had never seen so much beauty around us. The trees, the water, we were all by ourselves. At night, we would sit up on this cliff and it'd be dark around us and we would just hear elk bugling in the background. If brokenness and my sore arms were all I saw, I would miss what God had to show me that day. And the second is community. I went on this trip with my best friend from high school, and even though it was raining and we're stuck underneath this tarp, we just talked for hours about life and family and work and desires and where we were seeing ourselves in a few years. If the only lens I see is brokenness, it steals away beauty and community in my life. And God wants to show us something through perspective. Now, of course, I agree that if the only lens we look through is the pain of the world, that can lead us to some really dangerous places. And of course, you're right that the suffering we go through in life can help us to experience beauty at a deeper level and community at a deeper level. And yet, there's still that fundamental question, even the one Epicurus asked at the end of his quote, like, from what source are all of these evils? Where's this coming from? Why is all this happening And I still wrestle with this because we hear people with good intentions, even believers with really good intentions, who think that faithfulness means that this is the lens we have to wear all the time, the lens of God is good all the time, all the time is God good, I'm great, how are you? And yet, even then, wearing those lenses, if that's the only lens we wear, that can sometimes lead us to some dangerous places too. That can sometimes lead us to believe that It's our job to 
explain away the pain that happens. And while, of course, yes, in the face of the question why, if we only wear the lens of human pain, it leads us to incorrect answers, like God is not real and God is not strong and God is not good. Those are incorrect. And yet over here, if all we wear is those lenses, that can lead us to some incorrect answers too. When, when you come in contact with somebody who's hurting and they're asking this question, like why? And you feel the burden to try to give them an answer. And sometimes we hear people with really good intentions who say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. Man, I'm sorry for your loss. God just took them. He wanted them home. Or God will never give you more than you can handle. And those things that are genuinely said out of love, trying to help, they're just blatantly biblically untrue and not in line with the revealed will of God. So wearing those lenses, it can lead us to some answers that are incorrect too. And yet that's probably not even the greatest danger. Probably the greatest danger is that only wearing those lenses can also lead us to some answers in an effort to explain that aren't incorrect, they're just incomplete. I'm talking about when you come face to face with somebody who's suffering and they're hurting and you feel the burden of trying to explain why and so we give an answer with a sliver of biblical truth underneath it that's just part of the whole picture. When people ask the question why, I can think of four answers that we as believers often give. Christian answer number one and to the question why is, well, I'm sorry you're hurting. We have a real enemy. You must be oppressed. Now, there's a sliver of truth there for sure. First Peter chapter five says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We certainly have a real enemy. Christian answer number two to this question of why is, well, I'm, I'm sorry you're hurting. We live in a broken world. You must be unlucky. And there's truth there too. Like you all remember the Challenger disaster when there's this O-ring on the space shuttle that isn't inspected properly and the whole thing explodes 73 seconds after takeoff, kills all seven people on board with a nation full of school children watching. Romans chapter eight, Paul tells us that we are living in a broken world, that creation is caught in a cycle of futility and that sometimes that means that things just happen. Christian answer number three is that I'm sorry you're hurting. People are sinful. You must be a victim. And there's truth there too, that when children are born into families with generational cycles of addiction and when civilians are caught as collateral damage in war and when the strong take out their power and abuse it on the weak, like sometimes we go through pain because of the sinful choices of other people. Christian answer number four is, I'm sorry you're hurting, you are sinful. You must be feeling the consequences and there's some truth in that too. Sometimes we go through pain as a result of our own sinful choices. Hebrews chapter 12 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, are any of those four answers wrong? No. Any one of them could be true in any given situation. There's a sliver of biblical truth underneath each of them. They're all legitimate reasons why people go through pain. And yet sometimes when Christians try to wear these glasses of God is good all the time, all the times God is good, they feel like that gives them the responsibility of drawing a line between someone's pain and the reason why it's happening. And if you are the person in pain and somebody tries to explain it away, it just ends up sounding shallow and hollow and loveless. I think of my friend Josh, childhood friend, growing up, he was kind of your golden boy, you know, he was, everybody loved him, he was way smarter than me, all state honor band trumpet player, the whole nine yards, early on in high school he got cancer. And he fought it and he fought it, the town had a fundraiser and 
And it went into remission. We all celebrated and then it came back with a vengeance and he fought it and he fought it and he fought it and he was never the same. And I can remember at church, so one of our other friends said to him, they said, well, maybe you're just not praying with enough faith. You've probably got some sin in your life you need to work on, you think? And, and I'm sure if we went around the room today, we could all tell stories of times when you were really hurting and somebody with good intentions tried to explain it away in a way that was really hurtful and damaging to you. When what you really needed in that moment was them to just step in and sit in the pain with you and pray for you and give you a hug and remind you that God loves you and that he's good. And so if we're acknowledging that this lens over here is incomplete by itself and this lens over here is incomplete by itself, we're still left with this question, the question of why. How do the goodness of God and the pain of life coexist? What in the world does God do with our suffering? Luke, I think the answer to that is we have to change and put on this lens of understanding because we do see a world that's broken and a world that's good. And it seems like they just coexist in space. I want you to do an experiment with me. Walk into your bedroom mentally at your house and I want you to kind of stand in the door and look out the window. You all with me now? Say, oh yeah? Okay, thanks. All right. You're looking out and you see maybe, uh, maybe there's a tree out there, its leaves are turning red and it's just gorgeous in fall colors and the grass is green from the rain that we've had and there's a swing set over to the right that either your kids play on now or they used to play on. Now walk over to your nightstand by your bed and look out the same window. And you look out and you see trash that's blown from the recycling with all the wind and uh, a, a razor scooter and five basketballs and a shovel sitting in the middle of your yard that you told the kids five times to pick up and put them away. And like, we just get same place and it just looks different. You know, life is this mixture of curvy roads and straight roads. And when we're on a mountainous road with the fog so low and rainy and we're going around a corner and our headlights barely pierce through, it's really hard for us to remember the day when it was 70, blue skies, good music on, driving down a straight road. Life's a mix of both of these things. So what I want you to do is I just want you to walk up and put your nose against the window and just press it against there and look out and see the entirety of what's going on. You know, uh, said a different way is how do we see God? Is God a means and to an end? Meaning, do we serve a God who wants us to be healthy, happy, and whole? That he's here to make sure that my life is good and I have what I want. That if I pray to him, I might get that power bond. He just keeps pushing it off so I can get the jackpot bigger. Is that the kind of God or is God himself the goal? Is God a means and to an end or is he the goal himself? If he's the goal himself, then when tragedy comes, when hard times come, I trust in what he says that he will use it to do something with it. I, the, a verse that's really means a lot to me that sometimes can be trite, but I want you to hear it with me is Romans 8, 28. It says that in all things, in all things, 
So in the really good things, in the mediocre things, in the bad things of life, in every single part of life, in all things, God is working together things for good for those he loves and is called according to his purpose. God is working those things together. So what does it do when we experience pain and brokenness and just mundane things in our life? What do we do with those? When pain comes, what do we do? If we have on the glass of understanding, we simply love others more fully. Here's how I think it leads us to love others more fully. It was uh, the last couple of days I got to spend over in Columbus, Ohio uh, at the International Conference on Missions. Riley Weaver took me around to meet some of our international missions partners, and I got to see some friends from Bible college that I hadn't seen in 20 years. And the question I would ask all of them of, how are things been going? And I almost got the same answer every time. It's been hard. And you got to think, and I think you guys can imagine that the last few years have been hard. Financial giving's maybe been down. It's been hard for them to be around family. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to get in and out of country with COVID restrictions. School's been tough. It's been hard to live as a, in a different culture for kids. But the thing that blessed my heart so much seeing our partners and getting a chance to talk to them was this, this shared resolve of kind of the, it's been hard, but we're excited to get back. God's doing good work. God's moving in this. And when you see people meeting together in that space, it just changes. And you've been there before, man. There's been things in your life that you've struggled with or you've dealt with. And when you meet somebody else who has the same thing, there's this deep connection. Maybe it's been something with a miscarriage or you've had trouble with maybe one of your children with addiction or it's been a loss of a job or illness and you find somebody else who's been there and the thing is me too. And you're so much driven deeper in that relationship. God, God draws us deeper to each other in brokenness. And the last one is, uh, kind of seems contradictory, but I think it leads us to worship God and love God more fully. Uh, I have a friend, Mark Ostriker, who's in youth ministry. And... Um, he was in town speaking at something, and I asked him if he would come by and talk to our church staff. <clears throat> so he came by, and he was sharing stories uh, with us from a recent trip he'd had uh, to, down to Haiti uh, after the earthquake. In 2010, they had an awful hurry, uh, uh, earthquake at the time, and these buildings and structures had fallen in on themselves and crushed people. And they were asking him to come down to see if it's okay and ready for American missionaries to come down and offer help and support at the time. So he goes down and they take him to this first village and they meet with a family that the missionaries have been helping out. And the lady had twins and both of them had died in the house that the building had come down on. And she was still holding one of these babies. She was catatonic, couldn't move. And the husband was sitting in the, in the corner despondent. And they prayed for this family and this just deep, sense of loss came over everyone there. Could you imagine what that's like? If you remember at the time, very few people were going into buildings because they were worried about aftershocks and the infrastructure there isn't, isn't great. And so everybody's out in the streets and, and they heard this commotion and he brought up a, a video that he had taken on his phone and showed it to us. And they're walking down this side street and they hear what sounds like a riot in the city square. And they walk towards the town square and he's, he's showing me this video and 
it's just people with their hands up in this loud noise. But it wasn't a riot. It was a worship service. These people who had lost family members, whose buildings and houses were destroyed, who'd lost so much in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, after losing all of that, their, their go-to thought was to worship a good God. And he said it was at that time one word came to his head and it was hope. Romans 5 verse 3 tells us that we rejoice in suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. We know that life is broken, that it's filled with missing pieces, and it's not how it should be. But what God doesn't do is he doesn't take this broken piece and throw it off the potter's wheel and start again, that we're gonna make a brand new one. No, he takes the pieces and he starts to put them back together. Through the cross, Jesus, we think, often shows us completeness and newness, but he does, and he offers us redemption. I love the line from an Andrew Peterson song. Some of you might have saw him. He was here a few years ago. He said, it's only when the straight line breaks and heals a little crooked that you ever find the grace. And so God takes our brokenness, and he pieces it together. And instead of showing how perfect we are, you can still see brokenness. See, we're not telling a story of brokenness, though. We're telling this story of redemption through Jesus. So when we meet people who are struggling, who are hurting, who have these broken pieces, we don't try to show that we're perfect, that we have nothing going on. No, we get to tell the story of, let me tell you about this person named Jesus who took my brokenness, put it back together, and we shine his light through it. Not so we look great, but we show the ever-surpassing power of Jesus to heal us. So it's not in vain this morning that we together, as broken, not perfect people, say, God is good, and all the time. Yeah.